Welcome to the FinTalks, a chat with Finance Malta. Today I'm here with Consuelo Marci from the FIAU. Consuelo, may I invite you to introduce yourself? So good morning and thank you for having me. My name is Consuelo Marzi and I'm a manager in the FIU supervisory section. Great, thank you. We'll start off with the first question. AML and CFT compliance has moved towards a risk-based approach. Can you talk us through who this impacts and how they have had to adapt to this new regulatory landscape? Yeah, so as you mentioned, AML and CFT compliance in recent years has completely changed from a tick tick box approach towards a risk-based approach. Now, this has impacted both subject persons as well as the regulator. So when I say subject persons, I mean any natural or legal person carrying out relevant activity or relevant financial business. To give you an example, a bank would be carrying out relevant financial business. So what this means is that they have now moved towards a risk-based approach. Now, in line with them moving towards this approach, the regulator has had to, of course, adapt and do the same. So how do we do this? Now, the Prevention of Money Laundering Act itself states that the FIU is responsible for ensuring that subject persons comply with the act as well as any legislation made thereunder. So in order to move towards risk-based supervision, we've had to basically vary the frequency and intensity of visits and of supervision in line with the risk profile of the subject person because in line with the prevention of money laundering act it actually says that we need to carry out supervision and check that subject persons and are adhering to the act following a risk-based approach so we do this basically by building a risk profile of subject persons and then varying the frequency and intensity of visits based on the risk profile. So you might be wondering, how do we build a risk profile? Now, we build a risk profile through various data sources. In 2019, the FIU launched CASPAR, which is a program which has helped us enhance the risk profile of subject persons. So CASPAR uses various data sources to build a risk profile. When I say various data sources, to give you an example, we use adverse media information, we use information from past compliance visits, we use information from the national risk assessment and super super national risk assessment, as well as prudential information. So this is these are some of the examples of the information we use in order to build the risk profile. Once we have a risk profile, then the supervision is adapted in terms of that profile. Now, how do we adapt supervision? So there's various supervisory methods. Examples could be um, supervisory meetings or compliance examinations. Now, compliance examinations may vary in scope. So even those have different scopes depending on the risk. To give you an example, there might be full scope examinations, which basically look at the full picture of the subject person and really give us a holistic understanding. They can also be targeted examinations where we target certain obligations. For example, we would look at risk assessment. So we'd look at customer risk assessment, um, business risk assessment, and enhanced due diligence. They can also be thematic where we look at a particular theme. So we might look at how subject persons adhere to their obligation in respect of directorship services. I also mentioned supervisory meetings. Now, supervisory meeting is maybe just a a more informal way to meet the subject person, to understand their procedures and just have an understanding of their business through them, through a verbal meeting and verbal communication. I just want to point out that these are, this is just to give you some example of how we vary supervision in terms of risk. It doesn't mean that these, this is an exhaustive list of supervisory methods, but I'd just like to show that it's not only subject persons who've had to adapt to this changing landscape, mm-hmm. but also the regulator. And we have done so through these methods. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's quite 
tailored to to the situation and the subject person I exactly would say. and tailored to of course the risk that they present mm-hmm. yeah and if a subject person has has never undergone a supervisory examination they they may be unsure what to mm-hmm. expect can you talk us through that process and what they they may be expected to do or present or or provide to you Okay, so again, I'm just going to start by saying that I'm going to run you through the most typical process. This yeah. doesn't mean that it is the only process. There might be situations where we there's there are slight deviations in the process for various reasons. But a typical process, what happens is we would call a subject person and we would advise them that we plan to carry out a compliance examination. We would give them a time for the first meeting and we would agree on when works best, basically. So... After this call, they can expect to receive a formal notification from us. This is a formal letter which lays out what was agreed in terms of the time of the meeting and it also lets the subject person know that we need certain documentation from them. Mm -hmm. So this is clearly um, stated in this letter and they have a certain amount of time to provide us this documentation. Now this is usually a week, but again, it could vary, but typically it's a week. So after we send this notification and we receive the information, there will be a preliminary meeting with the subject person. We call this the kickoff meeting. And it's just the first meeting that, again, lets us understand their process through them and not just through their written procedures, but gives them the opportunity to explain their processes to us. And there, it gives us an understanding of how of their understanding of AML legislation and obligations. So after this meeting, we will request a sample of files and we will begin our file review. Sometimes we also review the systems because Nowadays, many subject persons have automated systems, so we would want to have an understanding of how the system works, their understanding of the system. So basically, we'll carry out this file review and the system review. Now, in this time, it could be that we request certain clarifications from the subject person. So we might have further meetings, we might email them for certain clarifications. This also depends on the case. Um, After the file review is complete, we then invite the subject person for a closing meeting. This closing meeting is a meeting for us to give the subject person an understanding of just a high level understanding of the findings so that they know what to expect in the compliance examination report. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to point out that we have what is called a missing documentation sheet. So before the closing meeting, we usually send out this missing documentation sheet. Again, I say usually because it might be certain cases this is not done and we would make it clear that they only have one opportunity to provide us documentation. But usually we send this missing documentation sheet and this sheet will say what we did not find on file and it gives the subject person a further opportunity to provide us with this information. Mm -hmm. Of course, if they do not have the information, they can just confirm that they do not have the information. And thereafter, we have the closing meeting, and after that, basically, the, the subject person will receive a formal compliance examination report. Okay. And, and what happens once the examination is concluded and, and they receive that, that report? What actions they need to take? Are there repercussions? Are there, is there, what's the process? So basically, they will receive a formal compliance examination report. This report will give them an understanding of the findings, and it's very important because it gives them the opportunity to provide representations to us. Now, representations are a chance for the subject person to say whether they agree with the findings, whether they do not, and if if they do not agree, why they do not agree. And it's very important because it also gives them a chance to let us know whether they've already remediated. So just to give you an example, we might say you did not have a business risk assessment, and they might agree with that, but they might say in the interim, I have created a business risk assessment and here it is. So it's really important because it gives them the chance to 
basically send representations and let us know if they've remediated, if they've not, or as I said, if they disagree with the representations. Once we receive those representations, they are then sent, the whole case is sent to a committee and the committee decides the way forward. Um, by way forward, I mean whether the case will be closed because the findings are not that significant and mm -hmm. not that serious, or whether the subject person will be asked to remediate or whether the subject person will be sanctioned. If they're asked to remediate, what's the period of time? Are they given a particular period of time in which they need to prove that they have taken these steps? So usually we, they have 30 days to submit their representations to the committee. If they're asked to remediate, this, is, this depends on the case, obviously, mm -hmm. and they will be given a certain amount of time to then send remediation mm -hmm. and the committee will actually follow up with them. This is, yes, but there's always, certain times and these are the time frames are always made very clear in the communication we have with the subject person. Okay. Right. So we'll go on to the next question. Mm -hmm. um, how has the FIAU adapted its supervisory practices during COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, so like everybody else, we've really had to adapt and change our supervisory practices in line with what's happening basically around the world. I mean, I think we've definitely kept up supervision. So it's not that we completely put it on hold during the pandemic. We actually have quite a number of supervisory examinations that we concluded. But I think some of the most significant changes would be that obviously our supervision has had to move offsite. So as whereas before we would actually visit the subject person's office and we would meet them personally, we would review their physical files. That has not been the case. And we now have moved everything offsite. So everything is uploaded remotely onto secure platform. Meetings are held remotely. So that was a big change for us. Another change or um, an extension that we gave subject persons is to provide the REQ. So usually there's a set deadline to provide this REQ. We extended that by six and a half weeks. And we also extended the period in which they have to provide representation. So as I told you before, we give the subject person 30 days, mm -hmm. but there was a time uh, at the beginning uh, around March, April of last year where we actually gave them two months to provide these representations. So we did take that into account. Our legal team has also issued a guidance note, which can mm -hmm. be found on our website, and it gives just some information on how to remain vigilant and also gives some tips for remote um, onboarding. Okay, very good. And has this impacted the way you produce your reports? I mean, everything we managed to continue, obviously, because as I said, everything was done off site. So, no, I wouldn't say there's such a great impact there because we still managed to conduct supervisory uh, examinations. We still managed to issue reports. It was just the way that this was done had to be done remotely rather than on site. Yeah. Okay. And what are some best practices that subject persons can adopt in preparation for a, a, a successful compliance visit? So I think one of uh, the main things that really helps the examination run smoother and also it's, it makes it quicker is to be proactive, to work with us, to give us the information we need. And that really does make things a lot easier for both the subject person and the regulator. Um, it's important that sometimes, you know, a visit can be a value adding tool to a business. It doesn't necessarily have to be something negative. You have an opportunity for the regulator to review your procedures and let you know whether there's anything that you can improve on. So that's really helpful. Something else is understanding your procedures. Now, we're aware that many subject persons use consultants to draft their procedures. There's absolutely no issue with that. The issue arises when the subject person has very complex procedures and a very complex risk assessment, but they don't have an understanding 
of their risk assessment and their procedures. So it would almost be better if it's a simpler risk assessment, but they actually understand it. So that's really important because this is something that we do ask the subject person in meetings and we do review their understanding. So that's something that I think should be kept in mind. Um, something else is that it, the subject person should remember that it is up to them to prove compliance. And this might seem obvious and you might say, but obviously it's up to them. But just to give you an example, sometimes we ask for documentation. As I said, things are, are uploaded offsite, so remotely, and files may not be segregated. So we just have a huge data dump and it's almost like it's left up to us to understand what document goes to what file. Now, that's not up to the regulator, that should be something the subject person is actually segregating. So that's what I mean when I say subject persons have to remember that it is up to them to prove compliance. Mm -hmm. Right. And is there a guide or a kind of how-to for them to be prepared maybe ahead of a compliance visit? I mean, ultimately this is left up to the subject person how to segregate their data and what works for them because of course each setup is very different and smaller subject persons may need a different setup than large banks for example but I mean the implementing procedures are quite detailed and they provide a lot of guidance in, in many respects of how to adhere to your obligations. Okay that's very good that's that's all my questions today so thank you very much thank for you. taking the time to talk us through. Thank you.